Welcome to Out of the Woods, the Threat Hunting Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our Out of the Woods Threat Hunting Live Edition with the Discord Interactive Podcast that aims to cover the burning topics related to all the threat hunting and security stuff you want to know about. Uh, just a reminder, throughout the podcast, we'll be taking comments and questions from our Discord server. If you want to participate, make sure to sign up using the link in the welcome message. Um, and with that, some brief introductions. I'm Scott Poley. Uh, if you want to check me out on LinkedIn, you can see a long list of random experience. Um, and connect me there, too, if you want to continue the conversation or ask more questions after the fact. And I go to you, Lee. Well, I'm Lee Arganal. I'm a threat hunter here at Cyborg Security and having some fun tonight. Hey, this is Mike here. Um, as the patient working with, with these guys on a daily basis, and uh, excited to start talking about some uh, hunting this tonight. Although he is currently regretting it right now. Yeah, I can. Or drink. <laughs> so with that... Um, a good mention, Mike. This every episode, uh, this live like this, we feature a cocktail uh, that's made by our team. So you can give it a try and leave your feedback in the channel. And in this uh, episode, it's the Threat Haunters Brew. So um, check it out. It's a vodka-like drink. It's what I'm drinking now. Um, and yeah, it's working. So now let's move on to what we're here to really talk about. So we're going to dive into kind of how we start this out, the three interesting artifacts um, that we found that we want to share with the group and discuss before we go into any of the topical uh, things. So I'll kick it off, and this is kind of one of my favorites. I guess, I don't know, should I grab the screen from you, Lee? Or Lee, do you want to pull a DNS twister? Oh, yeah, let me pull it up. Give me a second. All right. So it is DNS Twister. I think I've talked about it from um, time to time, and uh, I'm sure some of you are already aware. But um, basically, it's a service that will use the typical um, way you can spoof domains with replacements and shifting or uh, character or, uh, exchange um, to make up the similar lookalike domains from the ones that you're using that you want to protect. And what's really cool about it is not only does it give you all the possible domains that can be utilized to kind of spoof your domain, it will also tell you if they are created and active and if there's an MX record, which is important because that MX record is really what tells you if that domain is set up or provisioned to do email, which would more likely going to lead to some phishing. So I have some stories around that. But Lee, if you don't mind even just putting in Cyborg Security, our domain in there, so they can kind of see what this looks like. So as you can see, the first view that it is actually showing are the seven that are found that are active domains. And then... It can pivot to um, which ones have the MX records available as well. Now, something to be cognizant of, so a great approach to using this list, and there's the available list too. It's all the possible domains. So there's 560 other domains that potentially could be used 
to try to help spoof cyborg security. Some of them are kind of weird, but some of them make sense. Well, these are likely domains you don't care about. So with that in mind, if you were to try to do any kind of preemptive blocking, for instance, um, it becomes a very effective tool in order to uh, basically not have to worry about those types of attacks. I've seen in exercises and I've also seen in real world where this has been effective just because you're able to take this kind of proactive approach. I don't know if we just lost Lee. <laughs> Something got him. That's how I'm here. Um, I th- no, you want to give me the screen soup? Yeah, so to your point, I think, and I'm going to take this off when I'm talking, um, I think <laughs> you're always talking about active countermeasures, right, and using tools out there available for you. I think you, you mentioned Shodan before. I think DNS Twitter is a great example of another open source tool um, that can be utilized to protect your own environment. So if you are a security engineer and an analyst or a hunter, um, punch this in, punch in your domain, see what comes back, see what MX records are found. And then you might need to do some work on, um, you know, some proactive blocking. Maybe that's a list that you flag and, and create an alert if you're seeing uh, internal traffic to any one of those sites or emails uh, coming back from any one of those domains. So that's a, that's a really good opportunity for you to do kind of your own um, kind of active countermeasures to, to some of the things that the, the threats and the actors are doing against your, your environment, your organization. Yeah. One of the things that, um, you have to be cognizant of, uh, cognizant of, um, if you're looking at the list, you can see there is, uh, well, I might, yeah, no, yeah. Cyborg security at the bottom. I think that's our actual domain. Right. And, yeah, that's one of them. Again, it's it's a hosted service, right? So those, those right. Sheets, is our domain. Uh, I'm glad did not see any other MX records up there. So that's good. Well, the thing I wanted to say about that is I we have seen, and this is what we've done on accident, where we took this list and we want to proactively block it, and we didn't pull out our domain, which is listed. So we end up blocking ourselves. Whoops. Yep. <laughs> um, and that will cause an outage. Um, is kind of frowned upon, but. Knowing that if you're going to use this information, make sure you're paying attention and you're pulling out um, your active domain, the one you're searching on. Uh, Something I wanted to point out as well. So this cyborgsecu.reedy.com, which I think that's a a Korean flag. I'm not sure. Not really savvy in all my flags. But when I click the info button, it tells me information about the domain and if I saw the date when I, when I looked at this before, yeah, um, modified 1026. Oh, so yeah. like today, based on their, their time frame. So it's interesting to see the potential dates when things are spun up. So it's interesting why that happens for us in this instance. Um, the other thing that I thought was really interesting, so sometimes you're thinking this might be protecting you from phishing um, and the like. Now, uh, when we put a block in where I worked previously um, before for the domains that we were trying to protect, we actually got hit. So that was obviously, we had this list, so we want to know when it was actually being actively used, but we knew it wasn't going to be successful. So what was really interesting was we started getting these hits on the alerts on this list, and we assumed it was phishing, 
And what mm. we had found out, it was our printer that was trying to send documents. And so we investigated this because it was a printer nearby we can go look at. And people were trying to fax documents via to their email because that's how it worked. But the keypad was how they had to type in the domain. <laughs> and it was one of those ones where you had to like press the number, 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 number to get the character. And they were fat fingering it because it was so much easier to fat finger, right? And we're right. like, wow. And then think about what important, like, I feel like you only fax important documents or expense report stuff, which sure. was in that, right? I feel like there's, there's not many options of why you would be faxing a lot of things. So, and the domains that they were getting bounced off of had MX records. So whatever they're faxing, that domain could be collecting that information and it'd be weird why they'd be, you know, using our domain for it. But it was kind of a, an odd thing. Like, do we just prevent an exfil of some data? You know, yeah. um, that maybe was a really sophisticated attack. I don't really know. But it was just interesting to see the effectiveness and also understand the risk as well associated in the same purview. Absolutely. So, and, and you know, putting on your analyst hat for what you're showing for cybersecureready.com, what in your mind would be the reason why this domain would be slow up front? If you had to take a guess. I mean, the, the part that's weird to me is the date. Um, since the date is so near term, it makes me think that, you know, someone is actively like interested in general and cyborg security and it's not so random, but that's only because of possibly coincidence, right? Um, I only can say that because the date is so near. If it was like something was spun up a couple of years ago, I would think nothing of it other than they thought they were clever or something that was topical around the time because people like cyborgs or like security or had some idea. Um, so sometimes I, I, I think along that path and then, you know, there were some, a time period where if people can grab the right domains, um, they hopefully to make money or sell them off or park them in certain instances. So I think that some of that, so it's hard to read a lot into it, but the, it's definitely suspicious when there's an MX record and there's definitely suspicious when you can see like, Oh, it was created a week ago. It's like, right. well, that's going to be interesting if we see activity, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, would this be something that you'd want your researchers or kind of IR analysts to go to in some sort of sandboxed environment to see if there's something actually up at site? Or oh, yeah. Uh, we definitely have interacted with um, kind of like the typo squatted uh, domains before just to see what's offered up. If they're, uh, I think one time um, we went to one and it looked like it was a login page, but not one for us, but it had a place to like log in. So we thought, oh, maybe this is, uh, they're setting up some infrastructure for that credential harvesting, phishing perspective. Um, or sometimes it just looks like a dead page, but then it gets really interesting because you can do like a directory traversal. So if they're assigning a domain to a box they've used before, uh, sometimes you can find um, interesting artifacts that are left behind if it's some some box reused or some instance reused, and they're just like rotating domains in and out of there. Um, so yeah, there's uh, there's a lot of opportunities there. Uh, but you know, that being said, you know you only can read so much into what you can validate. So, so quick question: uh, Whenever it comes to like um, domain generating algorithms. Mm -hmm. uh, if you get if you get a, hand, a hold of that code and you run and you find all those uh those domains and stuff that are that exist, is is this a good place to check for that? Like for the especially the malware that like likes to no okay no because that's really gonna be almost like a randomizer with some sort of seed based on how they generate them. 
Um, this is more focused on look-alike specific. So you have to have something to work off of, and most of them have to look like it in some capacity. All right, all right. Cool. That makes sense. Now, what's something to note, though, are there are techniques to fake and typo squat by using, say, different characters from uh, different, like, you know, the UTF-8 or whatever, where maybe that you're using an A, but it's not traditional ASCII A, it's a different A, and so therefore you can kind of get away with it. Um, and it will look like the legitimate domain, even though it's really not. Uh, I don't think DNS Twister accounts for every technique to typo squat. So that's something to be aware of, but at least gives you a good starting list where you don't have to think too hard. You can just say, yeah, there's no reason not to block these because there's no reason these will be legitimate to us. Right. Is there an export of that list that makes it easy to, to run through a block? Yes. I want to say there is, and it's probably going to make me, no, it's generating it. Right. Cool. It says export to CSV. Yeah. I go. think that's what it, what it was. Yeah. Because everyone uses yeah. Excel yeah. no matter what. Remember to remove your own, right? It's got... <laughs> remember, to remove, remember to remove the legit domain, right? Yes. Uh, when you export, then... look for your domain to pull it out of the list first before you block yourself. <laughs> we found them. It's us. Yep. No, it was funny when that happened because it literally was like, man, anyone notice things just aren't working? <laughs> and then <laughs> someone came in and was like, what just happened? Like, as if, like, everything just crashed. We're like, and one of the guys was like, I think I know. <laughs> I think one end is like, all right, we're good. Yeah. yeah. Fun times. So, suck. if you have nothing else, I have one more thing to plug. It's a shameful plug. Shame. Yeah. Shame. Shame. Um, and that is, I recently got a white paper published. Um, through Sans, so uh, if you want to check it out, I think it's kind of fun. I'll put it in the uh, the chat here, um, Discord. And it was just a really cool project. The highlight is, is I was looking at how to store data that we use in cybersecurity uh, in a more efficient and effective way, and but be able to prove to have more analytical value in the approach to the way I store data. So. Um, it's not, obviously not a full-fledged solution, something that is just more like an idea and a way to think about the problem um, with some validation in there. Uh, but yeah, check it out. I had fun writing it. Uh, I think uh, if you're interested in those those types of things, you'll you'll learn about a few different databases and some strengths and weaknesses and how I think about the world. And you get a view into my crazy brain sometimes. This <laughs> so. is a scary place, but everyone who's attending, can we just get a quick round of applause? Holy got his master's finally after fighting years and years. He dedicated, <laughs> and now he's a published man. So big congratulations, Paul. I appreciate yeah. it. Here's one to you. Yeah. I'll drink to that. <laughs> All right. Now we can get off of me, and we can move to Lee. I think you're up. So my artifact was actually Polly's white paper. He's going to talk about it. <laughs> Perfect. So, yeah, on the spot. So um, the, my artifact is actually the CrowdStrike 2023 uh, defense or threat report or the global threat report that they have. It, You know, I like that the vendors kind of scatter their publishing of their own work. Um, they don't all release it all at once because then that gives me some more time to 
actually just digest and read it. Um, but I'm not going to bore you with all of it, um, but I'm just going to go through some highlights that I found. Of course, they cover the naming convention, um, which I was actually surprised to see some. I know I've like researched CrowdStrike in the past, uh, but they have some names up there like uh, Leopard and Lynx and Ocelot for like countries that maybe you don't hear a lot in the news, uh, but definitely they named them like... Uh, like Georgia, Colombia, uh, you know, I'm not always in the trenches, so I'm not seeing all these things happen all the time. So whenever I see names like that, it's kind of surprising, but it it makes me remember that something significant enough must have happened that CrowdStrike got eyes on it. Um, but I'm always I always laugh at like two things for especially when it comes to naming conventions. First of all. Um, why do we name them cool? Like, personally, I would name it like APC <laughs> Limp Noodle, right? Like, really, just, <laughs> one, like, if you got attacked by them, maybe it would hurt a little more. But then, you know, if you're sitting there saying like, oh, we're APT Ghost, we're APT Hammer or Thor, you know, that kind of draws to like, those people that are like, man, I want to be a part of that. I want to do what I can. Um, and I think know. it's yeah, it's purely marketing, right? Because I don't know. You know if you go to Black Hat, if you go to you go to these conferences. They have these really cool like mascots and statues, and like Chashkin's created of the. the yeah. you know, I would love to see a lump noodle. That would be hilarious. Right, just yeah, like, but like I don't know. I was gonna say like you may have answered your own question because I feel like one of the hardest things to do is get support from management sometimes, and if you were trying to report up. <laughs> We just got defeated by Limp Noodle. They're like, all right, well, clearly we need to get rid of our security team because that just sounds like we've or, failed. Or they need to do more. They're like, well, if Limp Noodle can ta get to us, I guess. what is Ghost going to do? Or Cozy Bear? You know what I mean? But, but you know, it's like that fear of uncertainty You and you're like, dude, it's Ghost Bear. Like, well, that sounds, I don't even know if I can see that. That's you know? scary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Sounds, you shouldn't be scared of Limp Noodle. But, <laughs> and again, may, maybe that APT would like, really target you and be like, fine, you know what? You want to see a lip noodle? We'll show you lip noodle. And then they'll just like really attack you. But maybe you're putting a target on your back. I don't know. Um, then again, uh, also I had to Google and search to see if I could find anything that APT groups for the USA. And I was like curious because I was like, you know, I know we have the equation group. Uh, I know that's been named. And now I'm Googling, I couldn't find anything. And then one, I was thinking about, I was like, well, you know, threat actors probably aren't publishing 2023 global threat report papers like this. Um, oh, they if they call did, us... that would be fantastic. I Do you remember, like, they had, like, a, like, a defender's report? Like, who failed the worst this year? Right? Shame report. But, like, <laughs> I would, I would be like to see uh... a uh, malicious SANS report. Like, imagine SANS for the bad guys, where they're, like, our top trainer this year in ransomware and double extortion was Vladimir Ruskakov. Like, you know what I mean? I don't know. Um, but then again, our APT groups might just be named NSA, CIA, and FBI. Um, right. Yeah. Um, then going through, and then there's some trends that increased. So the use of access brokers was up 112% mm. uh, compared to 2021. And they, uh, the industries or the top two industries were academic institutions and technology. Personally, uh, my personal opinion is academic or academia is always going to be a target because they are a business that is very 
in my in my own opinion is restricted and like they have a very specific goal right they have all these people coming in and out with their own devices that they really can't control um make them easy targets and then on the like the faculty staff side of things if they want the proprietary information or the we you know, the classes that they're teaching i mean if they can just get someone there that'd be you know easy on that point um kind of like information stealing but you know seeing what we're teaching seeing if it's up to date with them uh you name it or i could completely completely be off target with the academia with that one it could just well, be because they're an easy target yeah so i know in some instances and this was more of a north korea thing and it was kind of further back in the day but academia was a big target because it was reliable resources that were always up that were easier to get to and had incredible internet connectivity because they're basically like an ISP for thousands of people on campus. So they typically had the fastest rates and speeds. So it's like, now you have like a great thing to pivot through that you're not going to be limited on throughput and you have accessibility, um, that will yeah. make, you know, maintain. Yeah. I think you made a good point there, right? The, uh, the, the wide area network, the land networks, at least back when I was in college, I mean, fully lateral movement. <laughs> I remember, uh, like iTunes, the the iTunes tech that you could have, where you could download music from everybody else's computer, because uh, everybody was on the same flat network. Um, so getting into an organization like that, everything is probably pretty easy. The other yeah, side I, of that, um, I was gonna say, academia is really it's a it's a school for education, but they're also making money, right? And mm -hmm. so they have funds, grants. Um, they probably have the funds to pay for ransomware. Um, uh, like quick, quicker with the justification of look, we're, we're taking away time from these people who are trying to get educated. So I feel like they're a little bit quicker on the draw to pay out these demands than wrestling with any type of, um, bad press that might come about. Right. So if it's a bank and you get ransomed, people care a little bit more than if you're in a school and get ransomed. Right. So there could be some motivation there on, on why attackers go that route um, because they're getting paid off quicker. I can't yeah, imagine if you just land a couple coin miners on a you know, a couple hundred yeah. devices, like easy, right? And the uh, the the one thing, so I worked for university when I was early in my career as, as part of finishing my bachelor's, um, and you know the one thing we did really well was we did segment like the student population kind of had their own area, right? that we put all the limitations and restrictions through and the benefit they had, it was, they still had the enterprise grade edge defense types up to filter a lot of noise. But beyond that, it kind of was the wild west. Like they're on their own fend for themselves. Like we weren't solely responsible because even if something happened, I mean, just like you have the same problem, like with bring your own device and corporations, like how do you handle that? Like what rights do you have or what do you need to have in place to be able to say, can we take your device? We think something's wrong with it. Right. Uh, so we didn't really want to deal with students that way. So we kind of had to put them in a special bucket and then just really protect some core university assets and things like that. Did you just call that the dumpster fire? I mean, it kind of was. I mean, it was most of the things I found just from basic IDS stuff was like just botnets beyond botnets. I mean, and it, I felt bad because it was like we notify them. You should get your computer clean. Um, and so then <laughs> what are they going to do? This, this <laughs> The scary thing about that is the pivot from, if you talk about institutions like MIT, uh, Penn, yeah. like these large institutions that have these crazy laboratories and completely. Yeah, there is intellectual property theft there for sure. Like, sure. Your targets. Yeah. 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 
Yeah. Absolutely. And we probably don't hear about that as much because it's tied to I mean, government contracts tied into like yeah. the MITs of the world and stuff. Like it's that'd be the scariest thing for me on how do you protect the students and how do you isolate those environments um, from these type of actors. Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting uh, environment in general because it's just like a different purpose than what we're used to yeah. seeing. Right. It's not like an enterprise or corporation. It's just different. Um, I'm going to get to the last, my my favorite bullet last. Uh, but then, so E-Crime went up. They had Slippery Spider using double extortion again. So that, that was uh, really showing up, especially with Russia uh, attacking the, um, or attacking Ukraine and the ongoing conflict. So they had the, you know, the rant, they encrypted the uh the network first and then they or sorry they exfilled all the data first then they encrypted it so he said hey pay for the decryption key oh and by the way pay for, pay us so we don't publish your information on the web um scattered spider was the the apt that was really hammering the mfa so going for like uh you know they would fish they would set up pages for okta vpns and then they would social engineer people once they got their uh, legitimate credentials, and then they'd hammer them and say, hey, I need your one-time password. I need your password, or I need the one-time pad. And then they would give up that multi-factor authentication code, and then they were in. Um, I got a question. Some... Yeah, you, go ahead. You're talking about Russia attacking Ukraine in the process of ransoming their information. In wartime, mm -hmm. like, why not still just release all the information, right? Does that... Does that... Those, are you referring to Russia as a nation state or like the hacktivists that are support ransomware people that are supporting Russia? Because I feel like there's like two different like kind of fronts going on, right? Right. Was this was this article specific to the nation state or the activists? I guess. So they began with the so they started with the nation state, right? The um one thing I, I didn't mention because I didn't want to read the whole report to everyone, but the the nation state actor i would you know <laughs> the nation state actor what they first did was they went in and started using wipers uh they just yeah. started destroying everything and um and then once they realized that this wasn't going to be a three-day mil uh, special military operation they started to shift to intel collection uh sure. data collection so that was like the the nation state the affiliates or the like the cozy bear or the scattered spiders or like the e-crime russian bears uh, that were hitting up, they started uh, really... So it's kind of like you got your nation-state attacking the critical infrastructure, and then the e-crime guys were coming around and hitting everyone else hard that was trying to support Ukraine and you know keep the nation afloat. So it was like uh, hitting them twice. Does this talk about any Ukrainian operations attacking Russia? I don't think so. I don't believe... Yeah. They had that. Who's curious? I mean, it is an interesting view, like from from yeah, from the Western world. You know, we know about all the Russian activity, right? Um, but I mean, Russia is not obviously disclosing to the rest of the world how they're being attacked. Um, sure. And that really would be interesting to see both sides of that, like cyber warfare, right? Because you know, there's got to be some, you know, and to what scale we don't know. Um, but I really liked this graphic. So I was kind of looking at it as you were talking through this, Lee, and I have it up on the screen. But it's basically trying to graph the activity of like the intel gathering, the information operations where, you know, the, the disinformation or whatever they do, plus the destructiveness that they were doing from the war from Russia towards Ukraine. And it, it's interesting to see 
you know, the rise and fall of activity, the sustained rate of the intel gathering where information operations also fall. So, you know, there are ebbs and flows to operations. And when I see things like this, and I've done this before, I forgot what I, oh yeah, that's what I, I did this for um, uh, the, when Russia actually sh shut down the power in what was it, 2017 and then 2015, those time periods based on a talk I listened to. Yeah. Um, Black energy. Yeah. So there, there were timelines for that. And I took like something like this and basically said, well, what was happening real world, like geopolitical, what was happening, whatever. And it was really eerie how there were things that lined up perfectly. Right. Mm. Um, and from an, an Intel analyst perspective, I think when, you know, cause sometimes I don't know why we get asked the question, but sometimes the question comes up, well, why, why are they attacking us or why do they care or whatever? And when you have information like this, I think you actually have a, a say with a higher confidence because you never say with 100 percent, you know, certainty that hey, this could be likely linked to these, you know, activities and based on this, 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 whatever. Um, so it's always really fascinating when I see activity graphs like that, and then the fact they broke it out in those three different categories, so you can kind of see what leads to one versus the other. Like there was an uptick of really nothing but intel gathering, but you see there's an uptick, so you know something has to follow. And even then, it like steeped up before any of the destructive stuff. Then it's really started happening, like kind of all ramped up together. And then how intel gathering is at the same rate as it was when it peaked at the beginning, right? That never really went away. It just created a stable baseline while the other activity has gone back to the planning phase, gone back to what are we going to do next phase? And then they peaked up again in Q4 2022. But those are things to realize, right? Like if you, if you think, oh, we got hit and we're not going to get hit again, or what's the likelihood? look at that intel line they're still gathering information that means they're still planning for something right so it kind of gives you like where do you need to be paying attention in a way but i don't know I, i've always find that fascinating and like speculating on those things but uh but yeah tying that timeline to real world events is always a fun exercise you know i absolutely thought of you while i was doing this because <laughs> i knew really? every no seriously every time because even back in uh in our sock days, whenever uh, Black Energy came out, huh. you were all over. You're like, well, this is what happened. Russia was putting a bunch of troops by the border and like military yeah. exercise. Right. Yeah. And I was like, wow, like that's. I hope you include that in your white paper. <laughs> no, that's a, that's a separate paper. <laughs> if not, disappointed, right? No, that's an ongoing one. Um, then we move on to uh, some cloud TTPs. It, this was actually really fascinating to me. Um, I think we're, I think you may have skipped it. I don't know. Maybe it's up one. But either way. China so Nexus was, I think, the next, but yeah. It, it's going up. Uh, they talked about cloud TTPs, especially because everything's moving to the cloud and, you know, that, that big buzzword has been um, started hammering away. But the fact that they're starting to identify how things are being or how the same tactics that we know and love for the enterprise and for the on-prem, and that we're, uh, you know, really used to, how they are moving towards the cloud, how they look the same, or they are the same, but they're just looking different with the event or the uh, logs, the sources um, that they're really targeting. Um, just to, like, you know, talking about initial access, discovery, lateral movement, privilege escalation, defense evasion, data collection, impact. So just... Things that we're used to looking for, we just have to look for them differently. Um, then uh, we moved on to, um, or yeah, sorry, China Nexus uh, adversaries uh, activity increased. So 
what they noticed, which I thought was an extremely tactful move, um, and I don't like to give adversaries credit, um, but I got to give them credit where credit's due, because they, the, or like APTs and affiliates in China, they just started focusing on web-facing services to gain initial access. And I was sitting there like, well, you know. They're really good at web shells in China. Yeah. And so why not go with your strengths? Why not look for, and of course they got the time, they got the resources, they got the people, they got the knowledge. Why not focus on that? So they were really sitting there like collecting all the, uh, or they got really good at exploiting publicly known vulnerabilities in very quick time. And then they still had the capability of the smarts and the uh, manpower and the knowledge to come up with zero days as well. So they were using zero days and these brand new, like, oh, like, you know, exploiting vulnerabilities even before they could get patched to gain initial access. If you can bypass the human of social engineering that's needed uh, for phishing and you could just land on a any device or a public facing web service, why not? Like, and that, yeah. that just blew my mind because it's like, they don't even need a phishing email. They probably have a ton just in their back pocket if they need it. But if, they, if they're just focusing on this, then why even bother? Um, and we're actually going to take a little step back into the report because I absolutely loved reading this statistic. And it talks about the lack of malware usage uh, in 2022. Oh, really? So they talked about and, I, and let me see if I can read this right. It's a little, little fuzzy here. But I think it went up 71%. Or 71% of attacks, or, or it increased 71%, that they are no longer dropping malware in environments. And when I read that, at first I was like, well, then how are they being successful? And I was like, duh, this is your job. Like, immediately it hit me, like, living off the land binaries, using the tools that exist, and technically, if they compromise your environment and they drop legitimate tools into your environment, like any desk, team viewer, or any other remote man. So I'm saying, I was wondering how you were going to talk about that, because, well, like, we constitute those as malware? I guess we wouldn't, but that those are, like, tools that do get dropped like malware, but it's not, right? Exactly. They're putting <laughs> legitimate tools on your environment, so it's not malware. Now it's abnormal and unwanted, um, right. unapproved software. It, exactly, it's, it's signed. Nice it's, and it's just, it. I was like, holy crap! Like, not only, not only is that fascinating, because hopefully that means we're at the point where our security tooling is, or our secure security technologies with EDRs, NDRs, MDRs, antivirus, and all those things are up to a, a like a standard where it's tougher to drop malware. Now, granted, there are a bunch of attacks that do it. Drop an EDR. <laughs> we installed CrowdStrike. And by the way, here's your inventory. Um, don't forget, Don't yeah, you know, we're not going to ransomware you. We'll just bill you. Um, <laughs> no, I think that would be funny. Um, yeah, can we, can we, what would we call that? Not double extortion, but what if we like drop agents and start like protecting their environment? And it's or sitting up people's environments, right? Like, you know, the the whole, you go in and then like secure their environment for them. Right. 
continuously monitor. Um, yeah. That'd be funny. You read that ransomware note. If you're reading this, it's because yep. we stopped an intrusion. <laughs> it's it's funny though, because like adversaries are getting smart. These these organizations they get so big, and then they develop this really good reliance on buying really good tools, because they can solve a lot of those problems where they don't spend time doing software inventory, or versioning, and those are some of the core. You know, core fundamentals of even like the CIS controls, right? And that just proves you can't get away from that with fancy tooling to solve your yeah. problem because all these people are like, wait a second, I've been trying to get around this EDR tool that's really hard to, and it just keeps getting better. And I, and it's like cat or mouse. And it's like, wait a second, they don't inventory their software. Let's, let's put, uh, you know, any desk on there. Then I don't have to worry about it anymore. Like problem solved. And all, all the organization did is if they're not inventorying stuff, they're not going to see that. Like, unless they're looking for it. I mean, Absolutely. that's something that it, it kind of, when you say it like that, it kind of blows my mind that they're kind of just taking advantage of where we should have been better. We should have done that first anyways. And right. and we're not. First, so, controls, hardware and software. But, but even then, like, what about what about plugins within Google Chrome? Like, if you already have access to a host and you can drop files on, you could drop plugins into Google Chrome and set up Chrome Remote Desktop. Which yeah, you got other ways. It's around a lot of different you know, security protocol. You have to have that access first. Sure. And you also have that access to drop any desk potentially, right? Yeah. So you have to figure out how that gets moved without malware, but there's obviously, I mean, you. (laughs) Sorry. I just thought of getting on there and making everyone's default browser, not internet Explorer. I help everyone out. (laughs) I don't think you can use that anymore. I think it breaks when you try to use the internet. <laughs> no, it just pops Man. up the Google download screen. Yeah, right. <laughs> That's right. But anyway, this was just very validating because it was like, this is what we do. We focus on adversaries trying to blend into the traffic, using living off the land binaries. I mean, we throw that term around like almost daily because that's what's being targeted. Um, it, it was just very nice to see this. Like, wow, like not only, not only we are we doing this but some an external a well-known organization is like validating what we do whether they know it or not um it was still just really good to read Uh, unfortunately for those 71 percent of that are getting attacked it's not a good thing but you know selfishly Is that, uh, do, you think that's a, do you think that's because of the rise of the ransomware as a service organizations and the kind of reusing those behaviors and tactics where it's the tried and true so it feels like a lot of adversaries actors malicious groups are moving to that type of infrastructure right and so as that increases the options available for you to infiltrate exploit lateral move are baked into that service right it's not like you would then go drop your own malware into you're gonna follow their playbook right so so you know I think you bring up another good point, Mike, that now has me thinking about it more. You know, one of the things we used to see with adversaries before the ransomware regime, whatever you want to call it, was that how do I get get access and leverage and maintain persistence over a long period of time? So then you'd have these packages and malware and hooks into things that would exist in, in multiple places, even though maybe on the same system. 
and now because the campaigns are so quick, concise, and targeted, um, as far as what they're doing on the environment, you know, they can get away with just using a very simple, easy tools that we use every day because they get the job done and they don't care about being able to be stealthy for a year or two, you know? So I think that also plays into some of that. I'd also be curious to see if virus total or one of those services does a report out, right? Cause I mean, for like the less number of like the sample number just went down, like a trending of how many samples they see. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a report. I don't know why they don't release something like that. I, I'm guessing it probably would be correlating to that stat that Lee threw out, right? Um, but yeah, not seeing hope so, I guess. And I'd be curious if any runs, the sandboxing, you know, type of organizations, if they're seeing a dip in people caring about, you know, uh, think Palo Alto as a service, like wildfire, right? Like if they're seeing less and less and less submissions to those type of sandboxes and why, or if they're well, seeing more submissions of legit any of this. Yeah, so I'm saying I, I, can, I can see the submission level staying the same, but the detection rating, like where does that fall, right? Right. What was the recent, um, the most recent big data exfiltration attack? Was that Conti? No. I'm trying to think of one emerging threats that we've written. It was the Move It, if you really want to talk about the most recent <laughs> XFIL. Was it Move It that was like publishing They're like just, all those bigs, big names? They were making big... very public publishings yeah. okay. of things, yeah. So you said ransomware, Mike. And I yeah. thought about it, I was like, but that might mean that there's a malware being dropped at the end, right? The the encryptor. Would I was you... thinking more of data exfiltration. Well, I mean, it's not like malware didn't grow. It just didn't grow as fast. So it's like the the malware that's being utilized is kind of like the same malware, like nothing newly being created, new functions, new whatever. So I I don't I understand that people can like roll hashes on things because they can you know, modify some of the code. But at the end of the day, if it, if it identifies the same when it gets detected, would you consider that new malware, even though it has a different hash? I don't think it would. Yeah, is that the stat that new malware or just malware in general? I think, I think it's malware. Okay. And are encryptors considered malware at the end stage of a campaign? I think so. I think we group ransomware and uh, malware. Because yeah. I was thinking about it, I was like, well, what's a living off the land binary that you can use to exfil data? And I thought about I it. Oh, you were listening. Anyone have a chime in on that? Would you consider ransomware its own thing or would you consider it in, I could fall under malware comments for anyone that's that, that wants to say? That's a good question. Right. Um, but yeah, that that was my artifact. Cool. On the mic. All right. Um, it's mine's a little bit more boring. <laughs> it it correlates to exactly what you were talking about, Lee. Oh, you can bring the yeah. It's tough. I, mean, I need coffee. There you go. Um, so <laughs> my topic is around a topic centered around cyber insurance, right? Um. And this goes into that increase of ransomware campaigns, uh, campaigns against organizations, that increase that Lee talked about. Um, and so basically, and this is kind of a net new thing, I believe the article I was reading said like late 1990s, it kind of grew. 2000s, it was still growing, not as uh, consistent across organizations. And I think now they're tying cyber insurance to uh, the kind of the policies and standards that you have to have from a security posture perspective. So 
as a requirement, you need cyber insurance. Effectively, um, it protects you against loss. Um, in, in this case, in losses we're talking about is loss of data, loss of, of revenue due to an event. Um, and there's a bunch of different kind of premiums and, and write downs that you can associate with that. So the article it posted, uh, is interesting. It's talking about some, some cases back in mid two thousands of organizations that didn't have insurance that accrued costs. So PlayStation Network got, got hacked 77 million users information got leaked. Um, and they incurred $171 million because of the breach. Um, and they didn't have cyber insurance, right? And so now what we're seeing is, or as organizations are starting to increase the insurance that they have, um, that the, the coverage reported and direct written premiums are skyrocketing. Um, and in this other article, um, that I found in 2021, they said that they reported approximately 3.2 billion indirect written premiums um, of the cyber supplement as far as cyber insurance is uh, concerned, right? And so you could probably correlate the increase in those stats that Lee was talking about earlier in the previous article to those premiums getting written down on the cyber insurance side. Now, the problem with that is, and and we've gone through and I've, I've dealt with the insurance premiums and how to get it, they ask the bare minimum questions. Right. Do you have a IPS in your environment? And that's one of the questions they ask. So that is an example of how it's antiquated. And I think people in the cyber insurance realm need to be a little bit more mature in how they're writing these premiums. Um, I think in the article I saw last year, they were seeing that it, it got to the point where there was potentially going to be a, uh, almost the same thing that happened to the mortgage industry and the housing industry was going to happen in the cyber insurance industry. Um, everybody kind of overwritten all those premiums. Everybody was enacting those large coverages and service companies having to pay out millions and millions of dollars when they didn't actually have that, um, to pull from, uh, and we're really starting to see that now. I mean, um, I can only imagine what MGM's cyber insurance policy is going to spit out. Uh, I think I saw that they incurred a $54 billion loss in the three weeks that they were down or semi down, which. There's no cyber insurance company in this world that could pay off that premium, right? And so uh, I think it is good to have. It does hold you to a standard of security practices and procedures and policies. But they need to get a little bit more mature on the questions they ask on those forums to actually enact that cyber insurance, uh, cyber security insurance um, for some of those organizations. So, so open it up. Yeah, no, it's interesting you brought this article up and kind of a, a quick plug. I actually had a great conversation. Um, and it's going to be a little like private, you know, edition podcast that it will be released. So you guys should check it out. But I've talked with Violet Sullivan and she is actually a really intelligent lawyer that understands the cyber element too. Um, and we talked about cyber insurance. I think now she kind of works in that realm just as, as recently. Um, and so we, we kind of dug into a lot of these topics and, uh, one of the things that I thought was really interesting was there's no regulation that requires cyber insurance. There are some state and local things that kind of push, like you need to have, be able to handle this risk. And that's like an understood option, but there's also some companies that know when they get audited, if they don't have cyber insurance and maybe they have some other finding that comes up, they look almost negligent versus if you have cyber insurance and say they find something else you might be in violation for, 
you're able to get like almost a like, okay, not frowned upon as if you're being negligent. Cause look, you're trying to do everything. You just overlook something versus, oh, you weren't going to buy cyber insurance and you had this. So it was like, right. a, a, and you almost had is to it, have it. Is it like not having car insurance at the state level where like that is a so, crime, right? <laughs> well, that's what I was going to get to. So, um, as we're kind of talking through, um, some of that, I was like, you know, it's interesting because having a car back in the day when cars were emerging, it was a luxury. It wasn't a necessity, right? And then when it became a necessity, um, there were some reasons why auto insurance had to kind of exist. Uh, one was more to really protect a victim in the case of a car accident, but also reducing litigation because if you didn't have insurance to cover certain things, that means you would flood the court with everybody that could possibly get in a car accident and how they're going to litigate and get through all that. And the court systems wouldn't be able to sustain that, right? Um, and then obviously you have some like shared responsibility, but there's also incentives for encouraging safe driving by handling premiums because, you know, the better you are at something, the less it should cost you. So it was a way to kind of govern that indirectly. Um, and then they talked about some economic stability and, you know, the unpredictability of accidents is why the auto insurance exists, but now it's required, like you said, right. And computers, when you think about systems that are on the network, I feel like it's going to get to that point where if your company is of a certain size or certain value or can impact, you know, the impacts cost X amount, you almost are going to have to have insurance. I'm not saying that's the way we should go, but it wouldn't surprise me based on looking at other things we require to have insurance for. So we can call it a financial institution. They don't have cyber insurance. They get hacked. They're down for a week. They owe, I think one of the examples in one of the articles was talking about, um, the uh, the insurance company that actually Equifax that got hacked, mm -hmm. and they had to spend four hundred twenty five million to provide free credit reporting. Like with cyber insurance, all they're really doing is protecting themselves, writing down that that cost. Right, it ensures that they can assume some level of risk and get covered down on it. It doesn't increase their security posture whatsoever. Right. And there's no guarantees that because you have insurance, I guess it covers you from being, I mean, this was, this was their agreement was to get out of litigation from the people that they were affecting. Um, but let's talk about that same company gets hacked by Russia. Right. Um, there's no litigation. <laughs> it's basically, we're just going to pay you this money to recover. And that's really about it being an institution. Well, you run into that act of war cost clause too, and you start getting that way, right? Right, 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 right. Um, and so, and that's a really good point too. I think we talked about that earlier in an earlier episode. The act of war clause, when it was, uh, it was like a, a third degree of uh, an act of war, something happening that this it was the uh, Danish shipping company Mersk or whatever. Right, right, right. Exactly. What was Shamoon? No, no. Shimon was just oil and gas, but it was it was with the uh not Petya, I believe, or Watercraft. No, no, that's right. That's right. Yeah, Watercraft. It's a Petya. Yeah. Uh yeah, so yeah, it was one of those. Um but we, yeah, we talked about that too. Um and what was interesting when cyber law for some of this stuff too, and this was a part I'm mean, I'm I don't want to unveil so much of the conversation, but this was a part that I really liked and it was actually something I pulled from one of her other podcasts was there's not a lot of legal precedence in cyber for some of these things. Sure. And, and precedence in law is really important to figure out how to make decisions. So 
when she we were talking about she did an analogy to property property laws been around for like 500 years or longer right so it's, there's a lot of really good understanding on hey when you face these types of things this is how this should be ruled upon and when it comes to people's data and things it's kind of like property as well or intellectual property or data leaving so there's kind of some good guidelines there um but there's a lot of areas in cyber law when it comes to breaches in general or the impact and cost and um, who's responsible for what um, that she was saying that there's a lot of people that are defendants, lawyers and prosecutors. They don't want to be the first case that determines the law for cyber, right? Like they'd almost <laughs> rather settle and there's more. And since there's so many settlements and this isn't, I asked her, is this because of insurance? She said, there's not a direct correlation and she talked through it and made sense. Um, but when you have a lot of settlements, then you're avoiding that precedence. So when you have, and then sure. there's been a lot of that to solve some of these problems. So it is an interesting thing to look at how cyber insurance um, helps, but in some ways can hurt. In some ways it helps because if you get breached and you want to use your insurance, um, they uh, will make sure that you're at least working with the right professionals that won't price gouge you in order to make sure you're whole before they you know, go through that. Like you're not going to waste your money on services that don't work because they know in the long run it hurts them too. Right. It's like a collision center. Like the, you, you get in an accident, and they're going to give you the places to go to get your car fixed, and then like yeah. figure out what the, the fixes. Right. Yeah. But cool. and then the other thing you mentioned that I forgot to comment on when you said like you know what are the requirements to have insurance, and this is where I think sometimes it's interesting because I think the bar is set pretty low in cyber, but in law, <laughs> there's always it. It has to be a reasonable effort, like reasonable security controls. And if as long as it's considered reasonable, you fall under that you're doing the right thing. So I feel like when you look at the list that you were describing, Mike, it's yeah. you're under that reasonable list. Um, so if you're within reason and they say that you're not being negligent and I feel like we need to raise the bar on what is actually reasonable, right? Yeah. I mean, them asking if I, if you know, you have an IPS in place, right. Or are you using IPS? Cause it's reasonable, right? Maybe, or it's not, right? If you're a large organization and you have to set up spans and taps and monitor all that traffic, that's that's a that's a incurred cost that might be different than setting up an NDR solution or something true. Detection, but also fun. like the question is, if you have an IPS, you can say yes and not be deployed in the right area. One hundred percent. I have right? one. I have one in my desk, right? right. <laughs> no, I mean, like, like, so like, you know, how specific does that get? Like you need an architect to be able to say that if you're going to have sure. these things, that you're thinking about them correctly. Right. And then, That's you know, the they have questions time behind you. Are you using an EDR service? Sure. But it's only at one location, but they don't yeah. get into the specifics. Right. And so yeah. it, it's, it's a checkbox um, that I feel like if you get insurance, you should be audited. Right. There should be some sort of audit process. Well, I mean, they're supposed to, I think insurance companies are supposed to do that um, as part of the process, but I guess it depends on who you go through. <laughs> yeah. You, also gotta imagine, um, you make me feel they, uncomfortable they when as, you make those faces. They want as many premiums as they can get. Right. And so they want yeah, that makes as sense. many organizations as possible because they have to get, you know, they have to make money as well. And so they would have to staff like a crazy amount of auditors use third party. But I would and, I would much rather pay for insurance from a company that asks questions that sound like intelligent, not just like. Or, or 
more than no, the, you if are asking if they're asking uh the low bar questions and you sign off on that and you get breached you get your money you're not you're not fighting the uphill battle of actually ah. getting review paid out right so, so but here's the other problem i i, I can kind of see with insurance and and i i can kind of see both sides of it on this perspective if las vegas gets hit with ransomware they can recover right if they pay or they don't they did but so what i'm saying like i mean they'll recover like as far as money loss goes like they'll make that money back sure a medium to small business that could put them out of business if they have to pay right so so what sucks though is so insurance is like man it really would save the day like they would really that would really benefit them because they can say man at least i can if as long as i don't make the mistake too often i'll be okay right but as an adversary don't you know you're going to get paid if people more people have insurance? Because it's, it's, it's a part of the, yeah, it's a part of the, the contract that you can pay off ransomware and get recouped. Like the perfect business model is if you're an insurance company that has a ransomware game that works for you. So I, I I could be wrong. I think I remember reading something about this back in the day. Is that someone actually hacked an insurance agency that their specialty was cyber security insurance so they saw all the people that they had then they started attacking those client lists because exactly what you're talking about yeah Ooh, the same as great method of you know information gathering job right? security right job security too anyway yeah. uh it's gonna be we'll we'll follow up again at the end of this year with the rides and ransomware and stuff to see where that goes i don't i don't know what happens if that market collapses like the world which market did i i don't think there's going to be any second or third order effects to that just more companies got to pay out of pocket to recoup that information uh if they get ransomed so anyway we should have something like the fdic for cyber security insurance not the not a bad idea <laughs> i mean i don't like to trust the government a lot but right i mean I'm sure that'll bring in some other problems, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> do you have the internet in your environment? No, we don't. <laughs> Here. Um, all right, cool. So we move on to the, uh, the topic. Yeah. No, we got 30 minutes left. Um, uh, yeah, I'll leave it to y'all. I know first in the topic list. Is that correct? Yeah. I figure we'd just shoot to you. I mean, I, if we get through, there, it, we get through there it. Are other topics we want to dive into? I mean, I, I don't have a preference, to be honest. All right, Lee, what's your topic? I got <laughs> cybersecurity conferences. Ooh, Scott, what was yours? Information sharing. All right. And mine's uh, prioritizing cyber risk. Or priority management. Yeah, priority management. Well, that's, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah, I get it. <laughs> Are we going to do a little rock, paper, scissors real quick? See you guys. Yeah, let's go. Ready? Do it live. We'll do it Rock, live. Paper, Rock. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. What? Foley. <laughs> so Lee goes? Yep, you won, Lee. You're up. <laughs> All right. So cybersecurity conferences. So this week, uh, Polly and I have actually been um, attending the Cleveland Information uh, Security Summit. Um, I gave training on Monday. I gave us talk on Wednesday. Polly had a, uh, a talk today. He's had like nine or 10 interviews and he's got an interview tomorrow as well. So he's been really, really carrying that heavy load. 
Meanwhile, I watch, I just sipped coffee and watch him struggle. But so I've been to a couple of cybersecurity con- conferences. I've been to RSA. I've been to Black Hat multiple times and a couple of B-sides. So the question is, what makes a good conference? What do you want to see out of it? Um, and, you know, what are your expectations? Now, I understand there are different expectations whenever you go to different level ones. A B-sides is just that. It's going to be a nice little local spot that security practitioners from the local area are going to come, uh, you know, the passionate ones. Now, they might not even be security professionals. They might be people that just want to see what it is and try and get into right. it. Um, so, you know, you expect to hear some cool talks or some at least some research of what's going on. Um, but, what you know, when it comes to going to Black Hat and especially paying that amount of money, like, what are your feelings about, you know, the outcomes of those conferences? I'll go to you, Polly, first. So, yeah, one, I love conferences, and I think they're definitely worth the time. Um, and sometimes the suck value it is that get the time or manage the time to go to them. Um, but like you mentioned, there's kind of a different flavors or slices of that. And I think there's benefits to both the really large like notorious conferences, like when you look like a Black Hat or a DEF CON or um, RSA. And then like something we went to that's a little smaller, um, you know, the Security Summit here in Cleveland and B-Sides are sometimes smaller. Um, and there's like a level of intimacy. Uh, it makes it sound like it's like a dating app of conferences. But like when you're at a smaller conference, um, you might not have like the the big prestigious talks that are like the net new you know nsa groundbreaking you know this is how things happen in the world or these are some things you should be scared about but you really get to learn how people operate um so what i mean by that uh there's some people i mean obviously there's vendors being represented at both so you're always going to have that you know vendor somewhere that you can interact with uh, but you're going to have where people really describe what they do in the smaller conferences to solve problems more so than I think on the bigger conferences because the bigger conferences are kind of dominated by vendor-based talks, right? Where they'll, you'll learn a lot about technology, uh, maybe learn about how people use certain people's technology, but sometimes when it comes to maybe processes or something that um, someone has stitched together is an interesting tool set or they created something, I feel like that hits the smaller, more intimate conferences. Because one, um, you know, you're competing for slots to be able to talk to begin with, right? In most cases, and on those big conferences, a lot of vendors and people of some notoriety um, are really hard to compete with. If you have something really interesting to talk about, like, uh, just I don't, I don't want to throw anyone's big names out there, but like, if there is a well-known hacker that wants to give a talk. Regardless of what the talk's at, I'm pretty sure they're going to get a slot at a big conference. They'll probably get the slot at the small conference, but they may not show up to every single small conference. Um, so I think the level of intimacy is is a is a good thing to understand going into a conference to know what kind of conversations you should be having and where you should spend your time. I think on smaller conferences, it's really worth interacting with people um, in general. And the larger conferences, you should kind of have a... Uh, a, a predefined agenda of what you want to get out of it before you go into it, because you'll just be overwhelmed with the amount of stuff they'll be thrown at you. Um, and so I think it's really good to say, you know, these are the questions I want to be able to answer. These are the technologies that I'm the most interested in or the areas of technology I'm most interested in. 
So you're able to devise your time effectively. Um, because I know people that try to do it all at big conferences. Uh, that's, that's a lot. Um, so I'll kind of pause there as far as that point and let Mike, you chime in a little bit before I share any more points. Yeah. So I've been, I've been to black hat every year for the past 10 years, I think now. Um, and so I've seen, it's the same thing over and over again. Right. And I've been there as a vendor, um, in those 10 years, the first couple of were like a vendor plus a practitioner. Um, and so my, my focus was a little different. I was walking around looking at right. technologies, trying to understand what other products and tools were out there, what people were thinking about, but from a, I'm going to put myself in an analyst or an engineering machine who's going to black hat or an RSA. RSA is also a whole other beast. I think you can get overwhelmed with the marketing BS. And <laughs> <laughs> we'll call it, you know, uh, keep it family friendly, but um everybody's fighting for that buzzword and i've seen buzzwords change year over year i've seen them recycled and like reiterated on and it's just i feel like people play like buzzword bingo at, at big conferences all time oh, like a popular game oh, absolutely yeah. it, it's so like the guess, the, guess the tone guess guess the feel oh, yeah, the the yeah, so, yeah a couple of years ago rsa's theme was aiml oh yeah the next year the theme was the human the year after that, it's something <laughs> zero trust. It, it just, zero uh, trust. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but it's just, you You have to, again, Scott, to your point, have a focus. Now, if you're on the show floor and you're getting inundated by vendors, um, there's probably a recipe book or a playbook to write on the questions you ask to like read through the BS. Um, if it's not like a hitchhiker's guide to black hat, and we're going to coin that here. We'll have to write that for everybody. Um but you can get inundated, right? So if you walk up to a vendor and say, we protect 100% of all your threats, you go, oh, cool, how do you do that? And like, oh, it's all black box people can tell you. But here's a demo of a very specific use case. And here, here's how it worked, right? And so those organizations spend two months prior building out these demo environments to mimic real world, and it's a very small use case. But it's to, you know, wow you, it's like a, you know, it's a, it's a show. Right. Um, and then on the, the talk side, I think, and to your point, Scott, again, I think the bigger conferences, you have to do a lot to get accepted. So the yeah. titles of those talks are sexy, right? It's like, how <laughs> I hack the NSA with one keystroke or something, right? I mean, you get in there and it's like, it's not that, right? It's some high level topic of a thing you could possibly do, maybe if you had all these things outlined up. If you had the quantum computer at your house. Exactly. At right. a smaller show, you're going to get, here's what I have to deal with on a day-to-day, and here's my experience, and here I can help you. Right? And I, I do agree with you that it is a little bit more, um, there's a little bit more connective tissue. It's almost like the tribe or the group, and it's, it's yeah. you're all in it together. You're all dealing with the same crap. Um, and there's a lot more information sharing and, and camaraderie at those smaller conferences. So I'll pause there. Do you want me to go again with some things, or Lee, you want to chime in? I was going to say, so I, I had the opportunity to talk at a partner's booth at RSA once. Um, I think that was like two years ago. And it was showing how to use their tool. And, you know, I, I of course, the show was mine. I created the attack. But it was really highlighting how you can use this, you know. And RSA blew me away because it was all the higher-ups 
Um, mm -hmm. at, at this point, this is my first RSA, so like you know, it's I hear RSA, it's huge. You know, now I was expecting some, not something like Black Hat, but some like a lot more technical people walking around. And I remember giving my my little talk that lasted like thirty minutes, and one guy came up to me, just one, and he was like, "Wow," he's like, "You know, most of this is just marketing fluff." And he's like, "You're the first person that even mentioned something technical," and all I said was Metasploit. He's like, "Once I heard that, he's like." He's like, I knew you knew what you were talking about. <laughs> and I was like, well, I'm flattered by that, but I'm sorry that that's your experience. I'm not um, Presley. <laughs> you should be. Yeah. Um, but uh, then, you know, so we, I got to train a Black Hat with Mike this year. And I, I will say the vendor training has always been like um, something you never look forward to, right? Like, oh, I have to go, you know, learn this tool blah 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 i like that during the process of submitting our call for training it asked are you using a proprietary tool and we're like well we're mentioning it and then they're like and in like bold at one point it was like we do not accept sales pitch for training so i was like well you know what at least they're doing a good job vetting that stuff right and i thought that was cool um, I've spoken to B-Sides. That was fun because it was a very small group, but it was just like people that um, kind of like at Cleveland, people that are doing the job, right? People that want to learn and get better. Whereas Black Hat, it, they kind of go there for the, like you said, the cool talks or the what what technology can I use now? Not just now like- They have better training, right? I think at big conferences, they can offer better training. It's expensive. Should be. Um. But I mean, like, our, you know, like for instance, our training was was there, so yeah, <laughs> top tier. Um, but I think so. I think you're going to get more variety of training um, yeah. at the bigger conferences. I think like a Which, deeper level in some instances, right? Like they'll it's dedicated time, resources. They have to do a lot to get in there. So I feel like you might get you know more than just the surface stuff. You might be able to dig deep on some things. Now there's a training element to some of this. Uh, uh, capture the flags and things that you do where you can join these teams and learn from your peers um, and sit there on those type of things, right? There's a, there's an opportunity to learn at those, those type of events at the smaller conferences, but yeah. Um, it's yeah. Again, to lead to your point, I think you, you hit it on the head. It's, it's a different level of, of focus. And I, I wish that they spent, so B-Sides to me is the up and coming kind of conference. Um, if I was running a SOC or a manager of SOC, I would send my guys to the local B-Sides. Oh yeah. Uh, ShmooCon is one that is like, mm -hmm. you can't buy a ticket for that thing. It sells out quicker than Taylor Swift concert tickets. It's nuts. Um, but that one I still want to go to, but that one again is at like upper echelon of uh, practitioner, right? It's a practitioner conference. I think they limit vendors or no vendors whatsoever. Um, and then B sides is doing a good job of pushing the vendors to the side and really focusing in on the practitioner side. So something we we didn't bring up, and I kind of just thought about as you were mentioning different conferences, is there are some conferences that are tailored to specific groups within cybersecurity or like um, specialized, I should say. Um, a good example is Dragos puts on a good conference um, in Maryland, and it's around ICS and SCADA stuff right uh oh, yeah. and i think yeah i think there's and i've heard fantastic things i've 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 
signed up to go multiple times and had to back out based on other conflicts. Um, but <laughs> if, but the people I sent, the, the feedback was great. Um, yeah. But yeah, they they did a fantastic job on you know basically laying that specific area like threat landscape and what are they doing what do they think about like so it's almost like a, the sessions are all really about everybody growing and learning together because it's specialized and they can do that much easier than it being like here's security and you, like, like you said you figure out what's the theme of the year because it's the theme's not really determined by the conference the themes can determined by the vendors that are at the conference right um and the other thing i think is important um and it's kind of an art but sometimes I'm successful with it. Sometimes I'm not, but how to talk to vendors at a conference. Um, yeah. It's Hacker's guide to vendor discussions. Yeah. Right. So, no, that's uh, just pull them out right away and make them prove this is so crap. some of that, right? Like one, it's really important that if you, if you don't really understand the space they're in, I mean, obviously just ask questions to do the best to understand it, but they do, if they fall in line in something that you're aware of, like someone's like, Hey, we have this EDR solution and you understand EDR. Well, that's when you really should, instead of like listening to their pitches, because they'll tell you what's great about them, you know, listen somewhat so you know that, you know, that's exactly what they're doing. But it's good to take some of your real world experience on problems you had difficult time solving and lay it out to them and see how they think their tool would have solved it or done better. Or can it? I mean, you might hear that it can, right? You'll hear a lot of that based on how they answer that. Sometimes you can kind of find ways through that or... You can basically say, look, your solution sounds great, but these are the things we're trying to do. How does your tool get me there? If you like give them a goal that they have to figure out how to either put you on the same path, align to that or whatever, um, you can very quickly see if that is a tool or that person knows that will benefit you or that person has any idea what they're talking about. Right. Um, sometimes I, you know, I get caught where like, yeah, I can get, I can see you know, this, the screen and the visuals. And it's like, wow, I mean, look all the information I'm seeing. And then I'll be like, okay, well, this is the kind of information we have. And this is how we're trying to use that information. And these are the problems we're trying to solve with that information. So how does your tool get me there through all those pieces? And can it do all those pieces? And if it can't, why can't it? You know, that kind of thing. Um, and, I, and it's funny, I'm giving you advice. So that if you approach me at a booth on how to attack me and make me unprepared, but hopefully uh, I'll, I won't, I'll be prepared for everything. Uh, but yeah, I think. Yeah. I remember a couple of years ago, everybody cared about the pew pew map, right? Like, and that's oh, the, the, the global map of IP is attacking people. I just posted, I think it was, uh, I think it's called threat, Butt. it's great. Um, but it, <laughs> it, it's, it was those type of visuals that can easily distract an analyst. So, so oh, cool. Look, it was, it wasn't, gonna... Oh, sorry. There was that cyber company that hired the UI UX a graphic designer from like Tron to build this like amazing map. I can't remember the name of the company. I don't think they exist any longer. But I remember walking that organization, seeing they were building like this city seat and like mapping out the threats and like all this extraneous stuff. And it distracts from the fact that, oh, can you help me solve this problem? To your point, right? So, yeah, funny story about the Pew Pew map. That was the one Bane, like we would have to do demos and, you know, obviously a sock, like, I don't know if you, how many socks you travel to, but some people spend an outrageous amount to make socks look super sexy because the sexier it looks, the better sock it is. Right. Yeah, and then it's, 
And then yeah, I remember I've, I've, I've been impressed when I walk in and it's literally like a fold out wooden table and two monitors mounted to a wall and that's their sock. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? And they described it. I'm like, yeah, we, that's a really cool approach. So, you know, for having two people and just this, like, you know, but either way, I used to get beat up um, when we do a demo. And the first question that some of the leadership would say, well, where's that, where's that a map? Where's that map with all the shots going on? Like, that's what they cared about the most. And I was like, that is so irrelevant to anything going on right now. But they know that non-technical people come in, they'll be impressed. I just imagine like a CISO, like nervously smoking and drinking a coffee, staring at the map and be like, oh, shoot, there's Russia. Oh, no. <laughs> there goes is it going to hit us? Is it going to hit us? Like, it's ridiculous. Uh, but then the other side of that, though, is that, you know, to your point, in those discussions with the people working the booths, it's sales teams and sales engineers and people trying to pitch and pitch and pitch. Mm -hmm. It, but you asking those questions makes that experience better for everybody. Oh, hundred percent. It's not just you walking up, be like, uh, don't say, tell me what you do. Okay. Can I get that t-shirt and like peace out? Yeah. Right. Like it's not encouraging a, a, a dialogue in cybersecurity. And I feel like we're getting better at it. Um, I feel like the smaller conferences are getting better at it, but there's such this stigma of people who are really smart in cyber and not giving away all their secrets or talking to people or like hoarding that knowledge. And then you do have those people that come by the booth and try to tell you what you're doing wrong and like how cyber should be. And like, there's not a dialogue, right? Everybody should just like, everyone's got to drop the ego, drop the ego and learn from everybody else. Cause everybody has a different experience in cyber than that next person does. And that's what I think really good when you, if you have a real life scenario or experience that you have either struggled with or you're trying to solve or just a story of something you did solve and you want to like pitch it, like I think both parties learn from that, but also you you can start speaking the same language because you can say, oh, that's an interesting scenario, right? And then you both dissect it together to make sure you're attacking the same problem. I don't know how many times that conversation is where someone's trying to solve something that I have no idea they're trying to solve in their head so they're like walking me a direction. I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's not, that's not what we do. You know, but if they would have just told me, well, this is what I'm trying to do. And I could say, oh, we don't do that, but we do this. And let me explain that. And that's why, you know, this is why we think this is important or whatever. Right. 100%. And I think this is probably a message to all the vendors out there. Like ask the people questions when they come in and talk to you. Don't just immediately start going into a demo. Oh yeah. yeah, that's true. Uh, what's your role in your organization? Like, what are you struggling with? What do you, what would you like to get better? Right. And like, it's a two-way street. I know a lot of times vendors would be like, oh, look at this map. Or look at this feature or functionality. And they're talking to a CISO and not talking to a practitioner or vice versa and like understanding the personas. So there's a, it's a, I don't know. I, I, I'm curious to see the iteration. There hasn't been a big conference outside of RSA or Black Hat that's come to light. B-sides have been small. Um, we have some vendor conferences that have blown up like Splunk, like Comp. They used Probably to have like DerbyCon and things. I don't know if DerbyCon came back, but that was Kentucky. Derby that used to be all right. All, I think they had some internal things that happened that they shut that down. I got to go to that oh. once. And they did a really good job of separating the vendors from the practitioners. Yeah. Um, CrowdStrike goes there, foul.con. <laughs> yep. Falcon. Yep. I mean, we're starting to see vendors have conferences, but I feel like Splunk. such a narrow uh, conversation. Right? It's like, here's how security works with our tool. Right. Or here's how everyone uses our tool, which if you, if you own the tool, yeah. like there's some value to that. Right. Like sure. that's why I, I would probably put that in that niche conference, but if you're trying to get more out of security, um, 
that you know one tool can't solve? Because that's the problem with those conferences. It's like, well, we know your tool is not the end all be all solution, right? Yeah, but I feel like I feel like with tools like CrowdStrike and, and all the services they provide, maybe that's the iteration of these conferences where you send your people there, they're getting the training on the tool, they're getting the training on the kind of the features and functionality how to operate it, especially if you're talking about that tool having EDR, NDR, XDR, like all the things in your environment. Well, it might be the place to go. Right? So to be completely honest, if you are a person that has a vendor and you're in your sizable enough shop, you should be talking to your account reps to be at least getting a seat or two free for that, right? You shouldn't be paying for oh, all seats for all people going. That should oh, yeah. be... It should be a benefit of being a good customer. Like, don't expect everything free, especially all the time. But that is something that I would push for as a as a person for sure. Right. right. Yeah, they want they want people there, right? They want mm-hmm. to be the. I, I don't know what the angle is on those vendor specific conferences, but I would love to see. Uh, Maybe it's retainability, right? Maybe it's right. people that they know if they go and they see this, they don't that they're they people renew. They won't drop. I would. I don't know, I, I I think I'm there with you, Paul. I would love to see. Splunk conference be nothing but people talking about how they use Splunk to solve problems or Maybe. like cool customer success stories. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. But then, but the problem with that is you have all these people talking about if I'm big financial and I'm talking to little mid market vendor and I'm saying I use Splunk, yes, and I have a million logs and jets in a second. And then you know, this person can't pay for the visibility. It does kind of set you, yourselves apart from, you know, it's that pie in the sky yeah. thing. Yeah, it's, it's a tough thing to to address everybody that would participate. Sure, sure, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, just I, mean, I would love to see. I would love to see B sides do a, 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 a nationwide, a national. a national conference. Absolutely. Um, I yeah, I think there needs to be something outside of the Black Hats and the RSAs um, to push competition because both of them they're far enough apart where they can just do the same thing rsa is a little bit bigger on the vendor side there needs to be competition right so i'm an amateur when it comes to b-sides is it an enthusiast that usually sets that up like how is that being coordinated because i feel like what you're asking for is of all the people that are responsible for setting up b-sides in their areas maybe they should get together and figure out how to plan a big conference based on their experiences from their individual b-sides yeah, it's pretty much like all local volunteers. You have some or uh, locals like if there's a cybersecurity company nearby, they'll you know they could probably sponsor it. But it's it's normally like, hey, we're borrowing college conference room. Uh, um, uh, I'm sure some are bigger than the others, but um, I would love to see a B sides USA under one condition. That whenever you look up like the main ISPs like or the map. You know how like the needle drops in the middle of Kansas? Oh, for like the geolocation stuff. Yeah, that's where it needs yeah. to be. <laughs> but it's like a it's the middle of a field on like farmland, I think. Make it Woodstock then. Besides, <laughs> Woodstock cyber bring out like Starlink, like set up some like. Oh my god! Laptops. So clearly we need to be offline and plan what the perfect conference would be for like the cool options and then reach out to people that we know that would have to actually sponsor it. We got this. Yeah, I saw the Starlink, uh, the satellite chain uh, fly by a couple weeks ago. That was pretty neat. Nice. Nice. I think they're doing a point-to-point SMS soon, which 
random, but could be a if we're talking about cyber, it could be a, a good backup <laughs> solution for your data center, right? Internet. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we have six minutes left. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I, we didn't answer what makes you cringe. Real quick, right off the hip, what, what makes you cringe at conferences? What makes me cringe is homeless people who defecating on the sidewalks. Uh, San Francisco. Um, yeah, I don't know things like that. Um, so this, I think the setting is important. I was um, say, what part of Cleveland were you in? <laughs> <laughs> no, um, I, I, I get burnt out really quick when I'm around people that think they know more than the person next to them. So, and you run into that a lot at conferences, and that to me. Like I, I was having a conversation today uh, with some folks about how I do not want to be identified as the smartest person in the room. I might know some things, but I'd rather be looked at as the as the dumb person. But when I have that person, so but that burns me out because someone comes up to me and I'll I'll play stupid just to have a conversation, and they'll be talking like uh, things that I'm like I I know clearly whatever you're saying and I just roll with it, right? I, I'm not I'm I guess I'm I'm not enough of a jerk to just shut them down, but. It drives me nuts at conferences. Yeah. The ego is huge. Well, like you might. Some people. I've dealt with that, Scott, to your point. I mean, especially <laughs> working boots the past Just 10 years. Yeah. You have people come up to you and tell me what we're doing wrong, right? Or how we're not thinking about the right way. And I can accept um, criticism, absolutely. But if it's yeah. framed in a way that I know everything about cyber, when I hear I have 25 years of cybersecurity experience, I kind of like black out a little bit. Um, <laughs> yes, experience matters. And I, I 100% understand well, what you do know. during that experience matters more. Correct. Correct. <laughs> um, and yeah, I think to your point, Scott, just level set yourself. Like, not everybody, and I think that's what worries people. And I've been trying to mentor some people to get into cyber, and there's all these barriers to entry and it's it it seems like a scary field to get into but um i think it's because of people these people might have uh, interacted with right um i don't know just uh just humble yourself a little bit right um and then the the swag right everybody i mean i i've seen people walking around dragging suitcases behind them with t-shirts and stickers and stuff and again, the focus of them going to the conferences should be to learn and to grow and to having these conversations. And it ends up people just wanting to get stickers and t-shirts and not really like engage with the, the vendors and organizations. Yeah. Lee, what makes you cringe? I just like the outlandish, uh, the marketing that's just, yeah, that's just completely out there. We're going to make, ransomware thing in the past we'll protect you 100 percent from russia you're like really i like, saw I a couple of years ago i saw 100 percent. you're protected 100 percent. No, i thought that was last year or last year i was like oh yeah really okay we were talking about that yeah and then the 18 foot statues and uh you know the, the the enormous expense that vendors pay for boots um is mm -hmm ridiculous it's nuts yeah. i mean that these these conferences make a boatload of money off the backs of the vendors um 
to this point. I mean, here's the thing I would love. Here's instead of all the stuff I hate, I would love a bake off. So, ooh, brownies. Your tools. Oh, brownies. No, it's so like you, you want to if you want to compete as a vendor, you have to you have to be a part of a bake off in your sector. So you have to define yourself as something, and then you show up, you yeah. bake off, your results get posted, yeah, and like you get to participate. That, I mean, that would be an interesting conference. And then you defend it. Like if, exactly. if you're not 100 covered off that bake off, let's say you have 75 percent, defend the defend the 15 percent different or the 25 percent difference. Well, it's a great conversation starter. Well, we did 75 percent because it's 25 percent focused more on this, and this is not what we specialize in, but. And what you know, and that's why you need threat hunters because we don't focus on the three percent. You should be actively hunting for your threats. Boom, tying so, in. So, right, quite frankly, if and here's my personal thing, I probably the last thing I would say. If your organization is that good and you are doing all the things right, do you really need a booth that big, or are you just going to be known throughout the cybersecurity community as a organization? Oh, organization like, versus facade. Right. Like, I will say, I will say, visibility. I will say, visibility matters. All right. Well, with that, we got to close this one out. Uh, it's been fun. I mean, we really dug deep into a lot of topics, and I think there was a lot of interesting things said. And I appreciate the few people, Tommy Guns and Nathan, jumping in and 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 bringing us some comments to the board and Discord. I know we didn't call them all out in live, you know, stream. And Jan, I liked his dropping the EDR was a great one. Um. But uh, something to, to keep in mind, um, there still is the Mastering the Hunt, Translating Intelligence to Action with Recorded Future. We'll be doing November 8th, 12 to 1 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. It's going to be a great talk. It's about operationalizing threat intel into actionable objectives um, and threat hunting. Uh, something that I think everyone needs to understand is how to use threat intel. It's not one, it's, it's like, it's not like you don't just collect logs and you're doing security. You just don't collect threat intel to say you're doing threat intel. You got to figure out how to use these things. Um, and also, we're there still is a, another day left of the Sands Fall Cyber Solutions Fest. Um, so it's a virtual event. You can sign up. We'll be there tomorrow, um, and you can catch the last day. So with that, I want to thank everyone for joining. Once again, love talking shop with friends and colleagues. Uh, please, if you like what you hear, check us out on the Apple Podcast, Spotify, or just about anywhere else you can actually find your podcast. And leave a good review or give us you know, the five stars because it really does help other people discover us so that we can add more people to the conversation, which I think is great. Um, and for those that don't know this, uh, we do have the weekly edition uh, of this podcast it's probably more like i said 30 to 45 minutes in the past it's probably more 45 minutes to an hour we, we actually get pretty in depth in some of the things but we basically hit on the top five breaking <laughs> stories or reports uh or technical write-ups for that week that we can then give that threat hunter's perspective uh, as far as things you can either actually hunt for or things you should be thinking about as a security threat hunter or security you know person responsible for important things so with that, I think that closes us out. Um, any last words from you guys? Happy hunting, everyone. Happy Halloween. Happy hunting, a happy oh. hunting this Halloween. There's what? a full moon on this Saturday, which is when we're going to be trick-or-treating, which I think is wild. Boom. Congratulations. That has nothing to do with anything. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> All right. Everybody have fun. Take it easy. Happy hunting. 
Thanks for listening to the Out of the Woods podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you heard this podcast so you never miss an episode. For more information or to connect with Cyborg Security, check us out online at www.cyborgsecurity.com and follow us on social media. We'll see you next time.